For the first time ever on Mindfulness Man, we have an interview. I'm going to be doing more of these, and we've started with a wonderful woman called Susie Amendola. She's worked with Dean Ornish, who is the father of lifestyle medicine. She's going to be teaching yoga on our Facebook group today. That's 28th of February. Hope you enjoy the interview. Our Facebook group is Mindfulness in Daily Life. Take care. Hello, I am here with Susie Amendola, um, a yoga teacher with over 30 years experience and a senior trainer at Dean Ornish's Lifestyle Medicine School. Is that correct? It's his Lifestyle Medicine program. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Um, I've heard about him for years, Dean Ornish. He's incredible. He's been called the father of Lifestyle Medicine, hasn't he? He has. And I... I like that you're even saying that because I think he's a forgotten figure. I mean, he started in this on this path nearly 40 years ago before anybody was really thinking about lifestyle as um, as even an intervention um, in terms of in, in, in his program. It's happened to be around heart disease. But his most recent book he wrote about was called Undo It. And it's really um, a program that undoes a lot of chronic illness, not just heart disease, but heart disease particularly because it's such... Um, a lifestyle disease. Yes, absolutely. And are there five um, key pillars to it? Well, there's actually four pillars to his program. Yeah. And there's five pillars to his stress management part of his program. But the five, the four parts of his program actually include diet, nutrition, um, and exercise, and also group support, which is connecting with another's feelings. So they get together and talk about their feelings. Um, and then stress management. And the stress management part of this program is really rooted in the tradition of yoga because Dean Ornish himself was very much a part of um, the yoga tradition. His teacher was Swami Satchidananda. So I think early on, he really made the connection that this kind of lifestyle that was lived at these ashrams was really healthy. You know, most of the people that live in an ashram, they're eating a vegetarian diet. They're out in nature, walking every day. Um, they're connecting with others because they're part of a community. And they're doing yoga and meditation every day. So that idea gave him sort of the impetus to put these kind of lifestyle interventions into a program. And you yourself um, have lived in an, in an ashram, haven't you? Mm -hmm. So yeah. was that Swami Rama, did you say? Yes, I lived at the Himalayan Institute when I was quite young. Um, my mom had five children in five years, five children in six years, and was quite stressed out and decided that she needed to do some yoga. And this was back mm, in the 70s, maybe early. Yeah, maybe even the late 60s, she started doing yoga for her own stress. And I went through a little bit of a um, a lot of a stress kind of impact panic attacks when I was quite young before panic attacks were really a thing. And uh, my mom invited me to a yoga class and it just happened to be at the Himalayan Institute in the Chicago area. And um, I went with her and I met Swami Rama. And at that point I was quite young. I think I was 15 or 16 years old. And, um, and I just fell in love with the lifestyle and the teachings. And I then moved to his ashram, which was in Pennsylvania at the time and stayed there for several years, had a baby, got married, did the whole thing and lived that lifestyle. And it was really 
just a beautiful time in my life. How fortunate to find it so young. Mm-hmm. I was, um, by the time I was really on the spiritual path, I'd already had a child. I just mm-hmm. had my first child. And I think if only I would have found it much, much earlier, the suffering that would have been yeah. alleviated. And so um, back to Dean Ornish and what you do with him, how, in what way do you work with him as a stress management? In stress well, management, so, isn't um, the way that I met him was I live in Omaha, Nebraska, and, um, and I have a yoga center here. And Dean Ornish was doing a pilot, a trial study, and Mutual of Omaha was an insurance company that was really interested in his work. And they wanted to do, uh, he had done a pilot in California, but people were saying to him, you know, people in California, they live in an altered state. Nobody's going to do this. You're going to have to try this somewhere else, like in the middle of nowhere and see if people will actually do it. So we did a pilot study with several sites, all in the, a lot of them in the Midwest, Omaha being the featured site because mutual Omaha was here. And they looked, they went looking for a yoga teacher. And at that time it was in the early eighties. I think it actually it was in the nineties, early nineties. And he couldn't really find anybody that did the kind of yoga that they were looking for. And it just so happened through word of mouth. I had a yoga center, but they hadn't found me and somebody told them about me and they came to me to ask me if I would teach in the pilot study. And I was like, no, I don't want to have anything to do with hospitals. Thank you. Bye. And I hung up and I, I was actually on food stamps at the time. I, was, I really needed the work. And they called back and somehow um, I said to them, the person that called me, I said, you know, I'm, I'm not really interested in working in a hospital. And, and you know, I, I lived in an ashram and the woman on the other end said, well, I lived in an ashram too with Swami Satchitananda. And actually Dean is really part of that community. And that really piqued my interest. And I said, you know what, I'll take the job. So I started working and I worked in the hospital with him um, he was in Sausalito and I was in Omaha and I worked in our hospital setting for about 12 years. And then I was asked to come on as a senior trainer nationally with him. And so I work now, um, years later, it's been many years. Um, and now the, the program that the place that has bought out the Ornish program is called ShareCare and they are in Nashville, Tennessee, and they train sites all over the country um, to deliver the program in hospital settings and actually even in medical settings of any kind, doctor's offices, et cetera. So um, I work with training the yoga teachers to teach yoga in a hospital setting and not just yoga teachers, but the whole team because the team is transdisciplinary. So all of the people that work on the team, they all know and understand the other's um, part of that program, the element. So we all cross train and we all work together. it's really, one of the most vibrant and interesting work settings you could work in. I can imagine. And what really um, interests me is is mention of emotional heart disease. This is all the dietary interventions, the yoga, but we know the heart is an emotional place, the heart Mm -hmm. chakra. Um, We do, we in Buddhism do a practice called metta, Um, where you cultivate the qualities of the heart and you feel so well when you do that. So it's so good that he's actually identified that the emotional impact of our lives damages the heart physically as well. Is that correct? Yeah. In fact, he wrote a whole book on, um, on sort of how loneliness, really loneliness and 
and isolation can really affect heart disease and hearts. And, you know, we really are, particularly in the United States, we live a very isolated life. We live alone. And even with COVID, it's been much more challenging. So one of the aspects of this program, which is called group support, is really this idea of social support. Of And also the, the really interesting part of the social support is that he's really helping participants learn how to sit with their own feelings and how to sit with the feelings and emotions of others and how to be a good container for others and how to really um, have compassion, not sympathy, but we suffer with others, how to suffer with others and to sit with that. And so this beautiful combination of group support and yoga, because the yoga, of course, includes, and I'll talk about this later, but there's five elements to it. And one of them is meditation. And this practice of meditation and mindfulness allows us to really drop in and sit with ourselves and to sit with our own suffering, which in turn allows us to sit with the suffering of others and vice versa. We sit with others and then we can more easily sit with ourselves without trying to fix each other. So there's rules around the group support. And one of the really interesting rules is that you're not allowed to offer advice and you're not allowed to offer um, encouragement, like, oh, you'll be better soon, but to rather really drop in to the feeling and to, if you're going to respond at all, respond from the place in you that feels with the other. It's a very beautiful program. In my, yeah, in my, um, you've just reminded me, in my early practice of Buddhism, there was a woman who burst into tears and nobody did a thing. They just left her to cry. And it was about 15 or 20 minutes. And I was just shocked. At first, I was horrified. I was like, there's no one going to help her. And it was really awkward. And after about 15 minutes, she totally came around. And she looked outside. And she said, I, I see the trees and leaves. And I, I feel better. It heals me. And she kind of, because she was allowed to stay in that space, mm-hmm. the healing occurred. Mm-hmm. We, yeah. we were there with her in one sense, but nobody was like interfering with the process. So it, yeah. it sounds very similar. Yeah, it is very similar. And you might see someone in the group when somebody ha- is in a place of feeling, you might see somebody reach out a hand and maybe just hold their hand or put their hand on their back but you don't see them taking away their suffering. Or if they try, that's what the group support leader is there to do, is to remind everyone to come back. And is there somewhere in yourself where you could connect with that person? So you might have people sit for a while as someone is talking about their own personal life and their own suffering. And then you might hear someone else say, you know, I really, I think I can really understand that because I too have had a similar thing. And this is what's happened to me. And it makes me have a little more understanding of what it must be like for you. Yeah, beautiful. And what, so there's what validation the, involved in some ways as well. Brené Brown speaks well about that, doesn't she? She illustrates that point really well, the difference between compassion and sympathy. Yes. Yeah, sympathy takes us well. away from it and compassion takes us towards it. Exactly, yeah, very well said. Um, and your practices, meditation practices, how do they look? Oh, 
I'm so glad you asked that. So in the stress management part of the program, we borrow everything from yoga, even though we don't use Sanskrit and we don't really talk about it as yoga. And in some ways, a lot of people that do yoga in the United States and maybe even in England wouldn't recognize this yoga because it's focused more on the internal practices. It's not to say that we don't do postures, but they're quite simple and they're done with a lot of awareness. So they're done with a lot of attention um, and a lot of breathing, and they're not done in a way that you're pushing yourself in any way, but as a way to really have a relationship, rebuild the relationship with your own body and your own heart. We even do things like talking to the heart and just asking what it needs. So, and we breathe as if the heart is breathing. So there's a lot of practices. And so there's five um, techniques that we use that are borrowed from yoga. And the first one being postures. And they are gentle movements. And there are postures that are really designed to sort of open up the flow between the heart and the arms, open up the flow of the heart. So the, the arms carry the action of the heart into the world through being able to give and receive. So we move the shoulders and we open up that, those sort of wings that can keep that energy trapped and let the energy flow. We do things like that, that lets energy move. And then the second part is breathing. So we use a lot of breathing techniques. And really a lot of the yoga practice that we do, the stress management is geared towards upregulating the parasympathetic nervous system, that relaxation and rest and digest phase. So we're really trying to downregulate the sympathetic nervous system because that nervous system is always turned on. We're always ready to be in fight or flight. And we're ready even when we don't need to be. So a lot of the practice is really geared towards down-regulating that sympathetic response and up-regulating parasympathetic. So we do a lot of that with breathing, breathing techniques like two-to-one breathing, where you let the exhale breath extend twice as long, or alternate nostril breathing, where you change the breathing from one nostril to the other and sort of balancing um, the nervous system because the breath is so intimately connected to the nervous system. So there's a lot of breathing that starts to lower blood pressure, breathing practices that lower blood pressure and heart rate. And then the third technique that we use is meditation. And um, excuse me, before meditation, relaxation. And most of the participants that come through our program don't sleep well. And so sleeping is a big issue when you're trying to heal. And I have to say that if I was to pick one of the techniques that I think helps with the healing process the most, I might say relaxation. I think relaxation has a profound effect on healing. And it is in some ways what some people think about as kind of a lying down meditation. Only it's different because in relaxation, your energy is dissipating. And in meditation, your energy is gathering, right? It's gathering and moving upward. It's focusing. So there are two parts of the same coin. They need to both be practiced together. But the relaxation piece really helps people let go. And for a lot of participants, they'll say, they'll say, you know, I never knew I was stressed until I did this relaxation. I thought I was fine until I did this. I had no idea. And a lot of times people will start sleeping right there in the middle of class because they're so sleep deprived. So we don't wake them up. We let them rest. They need it. So that's another piece. And then meditation. So there's postures, breathing, relaxation, and then meditation. And of course, as you know, meditation always has a component of mindfulness. So mindfulness and focused attention together create meditation. So mindfulness is just one aspect. And it's also an aspect that helps you connect your meditation practice to your daily life. Being able to be mindful about some of the things that you're doing brings you right back into that meditation 
practice where it drops you deep into yourself. So they, they are done together. So we do things like walking meditation. We teach different techniques of meditation. So we teach gazing where they can do candle gazing, walking meditation, eating meditation, how to eat with awareness. We teach focused breath-centered meditation and then word or mantra-based meditation. So we give them all of these five techniques of meditation and we invite them to try them all on like they're dating and then pick one. So they, they date them all. They try them all each week a little different until they find the one that really works for them because there isn't one technique that works for everyone. And really it's a very individualized practice. So we want people to do what they're going to do that's going to help them. So, so that's the meditation. We teach several different types and we, and we really talk about how, you know, the mind is really like a monkey and they talk about this in Buddhism and if you give the monkey something to do, right? Something to focus on. Like in India, they put ropes in the trees and the monkeys go up and down the ropes all day long. Instead of running through the town and causing mayhem, because if a monkey gets into a fight, it's a disaster, right? People get hurt, things fly all over the place. So they put these ropes in the trees and it's just, that's why they use that symbology because it really is, the mind is like a monkey. It's all over the place, unless it has something to hang on to. And so giving participants a word or a prayer or a phrase or, or some kind of a candle flame or something that the mind can hold is a really powerful way to bring them into meditation. So we use that, those kinds of techniques. And then the last practice that we do as part of the stress management is imagery. And so imagery, you know, we're all imaging all the time. We just don't realize that we're creating our lives just through our imagination. But most of us do it through the practice of worry. So we okay. worry really well and we keep creating all these kinds of physical ailments for ourselves through worry, right? But if we can shift worry into positive imagery, it can have a really profound effect on health and healing. So we actually teach imagery and how to use imagery to heal your own heart and to change your life. And so participants really have fun with it because it's very creative. So we had one participant just recently, one of the teachers was telling me that he has all these grandchildren and he takes them to the water park and he hadn't been able to because his heart disease had gotten so bad that he couldn't really go with them anymore. So as part of his imagery, he would imagine all of his kids at the water park sliding down the slides in absolute joy and euphoria. And he was imagining them in his arteries, clearing the plaque as they slid through like water slides. Mm -hmm. And I thought, this is what the imagery is. It's personal and it's important. And it's something that helps reconnect them to their joy and to their peace and to this idea of an open flow in their hearts, a flow that goes both directions. I so I love that. Well. I love that part of practice. Yeah. I love what you said about in imagining the plaque, um, you know, being dissipated through that. And that reminds me, do you, do you think that we can literally use the mind to heal things? Like I've, I've seen it on YouTube, you know, people using the mind to get rid of even tumors and stuff. Yeah. Imagining, visualizing the tumor being attacked. Yeah. And in, in fact, when I was, you know, after, bef 
right after I started working in the Ornish program, I had a neighbor who um, had been diagnosed when she was four years old of cancer. And at the time, right before that, her father had passed away from cancer and her mother was an absolute wreck. And she said, I knew that my mother couldn't bear it if I died. And she said, so I invited little, um, little light fairies to come in and heal my cancer. And she had leukemia and she said, I don't know what did it, but she said, as a, as a little girl doing this practice, she said, I believed that I healed myself. And I thought this is the kind of thing that we're trying to spark in people that we want to bring out all the big guns. We want diet. We want exercise. We want meditation. We want imagery. We want, you know, support, all of that. And Dean Ornish has done that so beautifully in his program. And so what you're talking about is that very specific part of imagery. And I think combined with everything else, it is a powerful um, prescription for healing. Um, There's not been enough studies to show that these individual, what they actually do, but a lot of these yoga techniques, I've been working on writing a book proposal and a lot just to talk about yoga and heart disease. And a lot of the research that's coming out now is on these very specific techniques and how they're, really impacting health and healing. And when I first started in this, you couldn't find an article on breath and heart disease. Now you can find hundreds in PubMed, you know, peer reviewed journals about breathing and heart disease and how certain kinds of breathing help lower blood pressure. And that wasn't even a thing 30 years ago. So this field is being cracked wide open. And so this idea of using the mind, the mind is so powerful, we have no idea the power of the mind. But I do believe it plays an incredible role in healing. Um, and that's really the stress management part of Dr. Ornish's program uh, really does focus on using the mind for healing. I like what you were saying about the rest aspects as well. I love yoga, need, yoga nidra and I rest. Does it yeah. look something like that that you do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yoga nidra has kind of gotten to be very popular, um, partly because Richard Miller and I rest has brought it to the forefront. And so has Karmani Desai and and Yogi Desai. Um, But, you know, my teacher, Swami Rama, was really one of the first people to bring yoga nidra to the States. So it's been around for a long time. And it really is in some ways very similar to deep relaxation. There's certain aspects to um, yoga nidra that aren't included in deep relaxation things like polarities, talking about polarities and intention setting. But essentially, it's a very similar practice and they have similar profound effects. So a deep systematic relaxation um, has about the same kind of impact that Yoga Nidra does. I learned Yoga Nidra in the Sachinanda school. Uh And and that is incredible. That's very pure Yoga Nidra. And um, I've had some phenomenal experiences with that on yoga retreats, using that and then going into meditation. Mm -hmm. Incredibly profound. I've got out in such, I've come out of meditation, like I can barely move. I'm so relaxed and just so happy. I think they go go together so well. Yeah, they really do. They're, I mean, you know, I always tell people that, you know, the postures deliver you, the postures and the relaxation and the breathing deliver you to the doorstep of meditation. They romance the mind into meditation so that you're not beating yourself up. And I know, you know, for me, 
And I, and I never, you know, I think there's all different ways to practice meditation. But for me, when I would do Zen retreats, we had a beautiful Zen teacher here in Nebraska for a while. Um, uh, he was just an amazing teacher. And I used to go to some of his retreats. And I remember just fighting with my mind during Zen practice because there wasn't this kind of, there wasn't all the postures and breathing and relaxation. And, and I realized, oh, this is, these practices are really to make meditation easier. And I think what people forget is that yoga actually is meditation. That's what, you know, that's what Patanjali describes really in the very second yoga sutra. He basically lays it right out. Yoga is meditation and here's how you do it. And so I think that, you know, when yoga hit the West, it really hit the West in a way of sort of physical postures. And while physical postures are really important, movement is important, um, meditation is really the goal. It's the goal of, of you know, just the state of union is the goal, the state of remembering who we are. And so all through the stress management part of the Ornish program is built in this idea of remembering who we are. Like as they come into as they come into deep relaxation, we have them experience what it must be like to spread out into a more vast and expansive version of yourself, to feel yourself as if you were connected to everything breathing, as if you were part of everything living, as if there were no separation. And that union is the union that people experience in meditation. That's the goal of meditation. So, um, you know, that's sprinkled through everything that we do in the Ornish program. I remember years and years ago, you reminded me, because we're talking about postures. I went to um, Iyengar. There used to be an Iyengar studio in London, near where I lived. And I went there, and this was my first real experience with this kind of awareness. I was doing some um, forward bending pose, and I went deeply into it. And I remember just being mesmerized by my jogging bottoms you know (laughs) and I just went deeply and deeply in and I I walked out after and I felt phenomenal so yeah in fact now now I've done meditation for so long I go into a posture and I'm so aware of every single muscle every single movement all of it It, they they flow together so beautifully and I think as you said one of the problems with not including postures, is that it, you can't just sit. The mind's just not prepared. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things I talk about when I talk about postures that I, that I love to remind people is that the body is always trying to get our attention. There's this saying in Ayurveda that disease knocks three times, and if you don't listen, it takes you. And mm-hmm. postures are a way to listen. They're a way to go in and actually listen. The body talks in its own language. And so as we move and pay attention to the how we're moving and what's coming up when we move, that's deep listening. And that's really the listening that we need if we're going to heal. Absolutely. I remember as well, um, 20 years ago, before I really got into yoga, I would walk around London on a Saturday and my hips would be in agony, one side of my hips. I cured that with yoga in no time. And the amount of things I've cured, knee pain, anything physical, I've cured so much just by postures. Yeah. So I've got a lot. They're very powerful. And that just is an indication, you know, the postures alone are that powerful. Imagine like involving breath 
and involving, um, you know, concentration and relaxation and imagery, all of that together. It's just, it's, it creates such a powerful healing path. Excellent. And you're going to be doing a live for us, aren't you? You're going to be teaching on our group, on Mindfulness yeah. and Daily Life, the Facebook group. So what will you be teaching? Well, first of all, Chris, thank you so much for inviting me to do that. I really, I'm really grateful to you and your community. You have such a wonderful community and you're doing such great um, work, just giving people a place to come home to with others who are you know, interested in the same sorts of things. And I think that's, you know, in terms of satsang, that's, you know, gathering together like-minded people and being support for each other. You're really doing a, a great service um, in this world, just creating even that online community that you have. So I really appreciate and honor you for doing that. Um, and I'm so grateful to be able to offer this. Um, I think you know, what I'd like to do and what I tend to do, what's been interesting about my own teaching and my own journey in yoga is that my two worlds of teaching, um, you know, I was teaching yoga very differently before Dr. Ornish's program. And I learned, I've learned so much through yoga therapy, which I'm a yoga therapist, just um, from the years of work that I've done in his program. I, I really like what we do in that program. And I, a lot of it I bring to my regular classes and to my teacher trainings as well. So we have a center here in Omaha called um, Yoga Now. Um, and we also have a website, Do Yoga Now. And we offer classes. And a lot of our classes really are geared towards this sort of quieting the nervous system and preparing for meditation. So um, I like to, you know, use the practice of posture in a very simple easy way. And I love the fact that Zoom, you know, has become the outlet for some of these classes because it really does let people do their own yoga. Because a lot of times people don't come to class because they're afraid they have to, they're not going to be able to do something the teacher's asking of them. And when you're on Zoom, you can do exactly what you want. And and you leave your camera off and nobody can see you and yeah. you just do what you feel like doing, which has been, a, it's been the most important step for yoga postures, I think, because I think the injuries and the kinds of things that people expect of themselves are so much more when other people are watching. So yeah. it's so nice to have that kind of a community. So we do the kind of postures that are simple and easy. Josh will be, you know, Josh, my partner, yeah. um, who's yeah, also been on your podcast. Yeah. Um, he'll be joining me and he, he's always my model because I always oh, sit good. still. So I hold that stillness and he does the background. He does all the postures so people can see, but we'll do some postures and a little bit of breathing and some imagery, some deep relaxation, and maybe even just a few moments of meditation. But I often encourage people at the end to then take that into their own practice of meditation. Excellent. So that is on Sunday, the 28th of Feb. In the UK, that's going to be 3 p.m. Uh, what will it be your time? It's, I believe it's 9 a.m. our time. 9 a.m. Wonderful. Yep, 9 a.m. Central Time. So if you're in Central Time, it's 9 a.m. If you're in Eastern Time, it'll be 10 a.m. And if you're on the other coast, on California coast, it'll be 7 a.m. Thank you for doing that, because inevitably I put something like this out and I get 20 questions. What time is it here? What time is it yeah. here? And I'm like... Yeah. And we forgot Mountain Time, which will be 8 a.m. Mountain Time here. But I don't know about other Europe European times. I just know England, so... <laughs> Brilliant. Well, this is just an intro, an introduction, so we've got to know you a little. 
um, which is fantastic. I'd love to speak to you again at some point if you're free and we can go deeper into a subject. Yeah, would love to. This has been just so nice and so nice to meet you in real time. I mean, I guess I call this real time. Zoom is now real time to us. Yeah. But it's so nice to meet you and see your face and and um, and get to know you a little bit. I, I really appreciate what you're doing out there in this world of mindfulness and meditation. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, we just got, we started when the um, pandemic hit. That's when we started, so... I'm sure you have saved lives, really, literally saved lives doing this podcast and being this um, this branch for people to reach out and grab. So thank you. That's well so done. Kind. And so do you just want to leave your details as well? Your yoga website is? Sure. We're doyoganow.com. Yeah. So it's very simple. Our center is yoga now, but our website is doyoganow.com. And, you know, we, during the pandemic, we did all of our classes by donation um, up until just this last month, we just started doing them so that you can pay and enter. But um, we'd love to have anybody join us at any time. The classes are, they're, you know, they're ongoing and they're all different days and times. So we'd love to see you and you can sign up for a class or just browse the website. We also have a YouTube channel and there's a few free classes on there. So if you're somebody who can't afford to take a class with us, I think it's, I think our, we have sort of packages and it's not all that expensive, but if you can't, we've got free YouTube classes up there that you can download. That's lovely. Thank you so much. Thank you, Excellent. Chris. Well, we will see you on Sunday then. See you Thank then. you again. Thank you. Special thanks out to the patrons of this show for that kind support. That's Bonnie Harper, Lizzie Bell, and Henrietta Nemeth.